finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that he can take your stand against the devil's scheme for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and also and after you have done everything to stand stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to all this Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And pray in spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me. And whatever I speak, and whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fear, fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Jennifer, thank you very much indeed. Please do keep that open. It's really important to understand the world we live in, isn't it? That's what we uh, teach children so that they can understand it, so that they can live well in the world uh, and uh, make the most of it. And sometimes the real world surprises us. And I, I don't know whether this is going to be a morning like that for you. Uh, if uh, we read the end of Ephesians and uh, some of the things it says might be surprising because it talks here about being in a spiritual battle. Now, some of us may come from countries or families where that's actually, yeah, we, we know that because we've seen it. Uh, but for many in Western culture, it's hidden behind the scenes. And this may be a surprising thing to think about this morning the spiritual battle. But it's crucial that we realise what's going on in the real world that we live in. And many of you will know Rob Lilwall's name uh, and the adventure he had of flying out to Siberia just at the beginning of winter and then cycling uh, all the way back through Siberia and a number of other countries until eventually he got back to North Kensington and High Lever Road just around the corner. One of the countries he went through was Afghanistan. And I have to say, before I read his book, I'd never thought of visiting Afghanistan. 
But as I read what Rob had seen and experienced, I got a sense of how spectacular a place it is. And I was intrigued by the, uh, the uh, theory that some Afghanis have, that it's because their country is so beautiful that it's been invaded so many times. But beautiful as Afghanistan apparently is, there's another obvious reality, which is why I'd never thought of visiting, and that is that it's a war zone. And as adventurous as Rob is, cycling all the way home from Siberia, he took precautions because he knew that reality. He took precautions. He was careful. There are certain places he didn't go to, and that's why he lived to tell the tale and write his book. So, for us, as we finish off this letter that Paul's written to a church, as we try and take on board what the message is for us, we're going to be instructed, as what we read, to take our stand against the devil's schemes in a spiritual battle. Just like the Roman army would close ranks, uh, they'd close ranks, lock their shields against the enemy, so the Christian church, us lot, are to stand firm, not in our strength, but in God's. If you look down to verse 11 and 12, they're familiar for many, I guess, but it's still worth looking at what they actually say. Is the fact that there is uh, a struggle, the fact that there are evil spiritual forces at work, their general, the devil, is named. He's a schemer. He's doing whatever he can to try and stop people becoming Christians. And then if we become Christians, to try and derail and spoil our Christian lives, divide churches, uh, and most of all, shut us up so we don't tell anybody else about Jesus. Sometimes the devil does that via persecution. He stirs people up like he did in Ephesus when Paul preached the gospel there. It's the case, isn't it, today? We've been reading about this lady in Iran who's uh, been released from prison, having been falsely accused of blasphemy. North Korea is another place we know about. Uh, sometimes the devil gets people thrown in prison like Paul was when he wrote this letter and like our brothers and sisters, some of them are in those two countries. That's when it's really obvious there's a spiritual battle going on. But for us, it's not so obvious. For us, it's usually words, isn't it? That's how we experience the opposition. Taunts, you failed again, call yourself a Christian. You don't think God loves you, do you? You're not really his sort. So taunts, temptations, 101 great sounding things to do on a Sunday morning. Uh, ten good reasons why you can't give your time, money and talents to building the church just yet. One very good reason why you can't forgive that person. And then the everyday greed and lust and selfishness and all the rest of it. And you think, gosh, trials, temptations, taunts. And there's untruths as well, aren't there, that the devil just likes to fan the flame of, that they just do the rounds about Jesus, about God, about what it is to be a Christian, about life itself. How do we experience that opposition? Well, sometimes it's words that pop into our heads, doubts. Sometimes it comes through people in the public realm, doesn't it? People around us. It's, just, it's especially hardest, though, when it's people who are really close to us that actually the words come out of their mouths. The things they say, they, or the eyebrows that they raise, the, the rolled eyes, or the, um, or the total silence when we talk about Jesus with any enthusiasm. 
and changing the subject. Especially then, we need to understand verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Whether it's uh, someone on the TV, or whether it's a relative speaking against Jesus, whether it's someone in the office, the reason they're speaking against him, they haven't seen his beauty yet. They haven't discovered his glory and realized, wow, I shouldn't be speaking against him. I should be on my knees worshipping him. I should be living my whole life for him. It's because of what chapter 2 has told us in Ephesians. Spiritually, we're all dead to God without Jesus. Other people are. We used to be. It's only by God's grace that we come alive and we start to see and understand. It's his love bringing us back to him. We're never battling against people, even when people are saying negative things about God or about Jesus. We're actually we're arguing with those ideas. We're, we're, we're trying to argue for the sake of those people. We long for them to know Jesus too, don't we? And behind it all, what keeps the, it stirring it all up is this spiritual battle that's going on. It's why it's hard to live the life that we're called to in the Bible. It's why it's hard to be united as a church, to really love each other. So, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. God doesn't pull us out of the battle as much as that would be an appealing thought. He gives us power to stand in the battle, which is why we've been praying for that in what we've, uh, what Zablon led and what uh, we've sung. So how? How do we do that? How do we prepare like Rob prepared when he went to Afghanistan. How do we prepare for Monday morning, for this afternoon, for, for life? Verse 13, put on gospel armour is my summary of what's there. Is that right? Put on gospel armour. It's the big truth. Unlike our troops in Afghanistan, they didn't always have the kit they needed, we as Christians do. We have what God gives us, the armour given by him, guaranteed by him, but we need to put it on. Verse 13, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. See what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, right Christians, get down to the spiritual gym and make yourselves strong. It doesn't say, okay Christians, go and take the enemy stronghold, be a hero. No, the word that's repeated here, see it in verse 13? repeated word stand like those Romans with their shields locked standing you see we don't have to win the victory Jesus has already done that when he came and died and rose again we enter into the victory actually when we put our trust in Jesus the struggle we experience is he hasn't enforced that victory on the world yet He's waiting, giving people time to come back, nations, individuals, time to come to our senses and to come back and to put our faith in him and to receive the salvation he longs to give. And so in the meantime, there's, there's a struggle going on and God provides armour for us to wear so that we're safe, so we can stand, so we can make an impact for him 
as a church in a community. So none of this is talking about a kind of a, another level that some Christians get to. You know, there's the kind of ordinary Christians and there's sort of spiritual warrior Christians. No, no, it's talking about all Christians needing to be those who put on this gospel armour. It is gospel, isn't it? If you look at the different parts of it, truth, righteousness, readiness, faith, salvation, the Holy Spirit, it's all about the gospel and the fruits of the gospel in our lives. It's actually saying, stand firm in what you've already heard, what we've had, you know, five and a half chapters teaching us and reteaching us, stand firm in all of that, wear it as you go out into your life, into the world. Don't give up on the message. Don't wander from Jesus. Surround yourself with an awareness of what he's done for you. So it's not just a theory in your head, it's an armour in your life. It's Kiwi Grass because um, when we fail as Christians, which I do all the time, and I'm assuming we all do, we're weak, we're sinful, we're selfish, whatever it is, what's your first instinct when you fail? What do you say to God? And when we say sorry, we do that, don't we? When we gather, we confess our sins. Do you ever find yourself saying, Lord, I'm sorry I did that. I'll try harder next time? Or, or something like that? Anyone else do that? I see a couple of nods. Yeah. Does it work? Quite so many confident nods. You see... You and I are not being called to be strong in ourselves, just to try harder. Verse 10, we're to be strong in the Lord. Verse 11, to put on his armour, the gospel, to consciously wear the truth of the gospel that will protect us. Now let me give you an example of this, because um, the devil is a liar, a tempter, an accuser. The gospel robs him of his power, uh, let me give you an example. I, I, at the end of the time, will stand before God. You will too. Uh, but when I stand there, uh, the devil will be totally within his rights to accuse me. Like a kind of prosecuting lawyer, he will be able to stand there and say, well, you know, Steve Darby said in general terms when he comes to church, he sinned in thought, word and deed. Well, let me tell you the specifics, God. Uh, there's this day and, then, and then there's the next day and, then, and actually there was that day and then... And actually, right through his life, let me tell you all the specifics. This is the case for the prosecution against Steve Dival. He will lay it all out before God, before God in all his holiness, and say, God, well, if you're going to consign me to hell, Steve Dival should be there with me. Look at how sinful he is. But Jesus will be there, counsel for the defence. He won't talk about mitigating circumstances. It wasn't really Steve's fault. It was all his fault. But he'll say, listen, I've already paid for every single one of, Jesus, of Steve's sins when I died. Every single one. I've died on the cross for them all. And more than that, all of Jesus' goodness is credited to Steve, to Steve Dival. It's credited spiritually. So actually, God won't say, well, you got in by the skin of your teeth. Lucky you. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because Jesus has made me righteous. 
I'm clothed in him now. And that story is your story if you'll put your faith in Jesus. That's who we are. We're inside him. We're protected by him. And what it means is, we realize, gosh, I've got, I've got, I'm in Jesus. I've got his armor on. Then when an accusation comes flying in like a flaming arrow, you know, God is basically making your life more difficult, isn't he? Uh, he's, he's making you a bit of a religious freak, you know. Goodness me, think of all the other things you could be doing. He's just going to ruin your fun. All these kind of falsehoods, these accusations, there's like arrows aimed at me, and I say, no, hang on, I'm going to buckle truth around my waist. Actually, God loves me. He loves me so much. His son died for me. And when he teaches me and leads me and instructs me in life, his, his leadership is good. He's a good person to have in charge in my life. All the accusation comes, look, you've sinned again, again. There's no way God's going to forgive you now. It's aimed at my heart, isn't it, to sink me. But my heart is covered by that breastplate of righteousness that we've just imagined standing before God. And so it can't do any damage because Jesus' perfect life is credited to my spiritual account and yours if your faith is in him. I'm covered with his righteousness. Okay then, if you must. But listen, keep it to yourself. It's all very well you think these things, but don't make a fuss with other people, will you? And we say, no, I can see that scheme. To stop other people hearing about Jesus and getting right with God. My feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so I will tell other people, even when they don't understand and they think I'm a weirdo. Or maybe we're under real pressure for being a Christian at work or at home. We face the pain of when life's hard. We begin to ask, is it worth it? And we get hold of that shield of faith and say, yes, Lord, it is worth it. Your your promises. One day there's going to be a new world. It's all worth it. I'll keep trusting. It's the same if discouragement comes, disappointment nags away. We've got a helmet of salvation on. We know that Jesus has died and risen. He will get us to the end. He's won the victory. We've read to the end of the book. And the Lamb wins. We remember these things. It protects us. And we take up the sword of the Spirit. You know, when Jesus was tempted, the devil, uh, what he did, he appealed to uh, natural good appetites and said, well, just use them in a way that God doesn't want you to do. That's often what he does when he tempts us. uh, With Jesus, that he focused on. And how did Jesus counter it? He spoke God's word. Like a, it was like his sword parrying the blows of the devil. He said, no. God said, don't live my bread alone. I'm not going to turn these stones, in, uh, stones into bread. And in the same way, we won't be tempted to do that because we can't. <laughs> but in, in the same way, we'll be tempted. Our normal natural desires will be tempted to, to use them in a way that God says. And we say, no, not just with our own words, but with God's word, like a sword cutting through it and saying, no, this is God's will, and God's way is good. So we're in a spiritual battle. Put on gospel armour, and one more thing, pray all the time. If we think of modern soldiers rather than Roman soldiers, they have an essential piece of equipment, and that's a radio to stay in touch with headquarters. 
Um, and that's the sort of thing God's given us with prayer. Often we can treat prayer like a kind of intercom in the office. If you have that kind of office, you've got the boss, maybe that's you, and uh, the boss is doing um, her thing or his thing. And then every now and again, bzz, buzzes on the intercom, ask the PA for a bit of help or a coffee or whatever it is. And we can end up treating prayer like that with God. I'm doing my thing, I'll just buzz if I need him. Prayer's supposed to be much more like a wartime walkie-talkie, reporting back to base, calling for an airstrike to save us because we really need help. We're under pressure. Verse 18, pray all the time is what it says. There are four alls there, all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests, all ways, or all perseverance. That's another translation. All God's people. Uh, most Christians pray some of the time with some prayers and some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. Uh, here it's replaced with all. Go for it in prayer, Paul's saying. Really be a prayer. Learn to be a prayer. Pray all the time. Pray about all sorts of things, all sorts of people. Pray on your own. Pray with others. Pray Ephesians 1, even next term when we've stopped studying Ephesians. Keep praying that prayer in Ephesians 1. Or the other one in Ephesians 3. You know the ones. Or if you can't remember those ones, you will be remember, able to remember the one that Jesus taught us, won't you? Which says, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Yeah? Pray all the time about everything. Ephesians 6, then, as we finish this book, is saying, don't just know the gospel somewhere, yeah, somewhere at the back of my head. Yeah, yeah. Learn it. Listen to it. Live in it. Whether it's podcasts or books or committing to Sunday or a group uh, here or at work or with others, with friends, that will just get you deep into the gospel. Know what God says and wear it as your armour. Put it on at the start of the day uh, as you go out. Maybe it's, you do it on the run. You, you're kind of on your phone just getting a verse of the day there and a quick prayer, but you, you're consciously putting on the armour as you head out into the day. You pick up that shield of faith for the comments you're going to face in, in the office or when you get back home. That you're going to put on the helmet of salvation uh, you, because no matter what people say, you know your identity in Jesus, the truth of who he is and who he's made you, his, his beloved daughter, his beloved son. That person you've had an argument with, well, your feet are fitted with readiness of the gospel of peace. So you make the effort, you go to them. And right. You're tempted to do something wrong and you parry it with the sword of God's word and you're praying about everything all the time. That's the picture of the normal Christian life that God wants you and me to grow into. He wants us as a church to be that kind of church. How are we getting on with that is the question to reflect on this morning. Is there something we need to just be conscious of the next time we're tempted, the next time we're feeling precious, uh, pressure, just to go back to this picture of armour around us and to be conscious of it as we say no to temptation or as we persevere when we're finding it hard. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on gospel armour and pray all the time.